So welcome to today's episode of the Sports Nutritionist Podcast. My guest is fellow advisory board member, Lauren Conlon. Lauren is an IFBB Pro Bikini competitor. She has also completed her master's in exercise science out of the University of South Florida. When she was completing her master's, she actually did some really cool research on flexible dieting and if it fits your macros, tracking approaches, being compared with meal plans. And she's just recently, even though she's completed her master's a few years ago now, she has recently seen that paper accepted into peer review and publication. She obviously, being out of the University of South Florida, was under the tutelage of Dr. Bill Campbell, who's known and renowned for his physique science lab there, which is really cool. And they're doing some great things there. And as always in this podcast, we are focusing on the business and practical side of things associated with the sports nutritionist. So Lauren can provide some really, really good insights as it relates to being one of the very few successful evidence-based females within the profession who haven't really sold out. So she's not selling things like a gut formula, crazy, crazy stimulant-based pre-workout products that would you know give, give a lot of people or send them into some interesting cardiac arrhythmias. Uh, she she is one of the very few people who haven't sold out along the way, uh, especially in the evidence-based physique sport side of things as a female. So we were really surprised when we were thinking about doing the intro to this and looking at the physique preparation program that we run in Australia as to like who are some of the females leading the way. And there really just aren't that many that are maintaining really good ethics with an evidence-based practicing background who have a very big following. So shout out to Lauren. That's a great achievement. And without further ado, we'll kick off into the episode of the podcast. Lauren Conlon, Association Board Member, Director and Head of Team Loco Fit, and then recently published researcher, right? But you did that research a few years ago, but here we are. Yes, I did that. It was my grad school research. So it was completed like by the time I graduated in 2016. Um, and then I wasn't going to go pursue a PhD right away. And Dr. Campbell, my advisor, like had a bunch of other stuff going on. So we kind of just, you know, we had a lot of it written up. We analyzed everything. Um, we actually did bring it to um, one of the, the ISSN. conferences. Yeah, that was the Clearwater one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for like a, like the abstract poster. So everything was pretty much done. Um, we just didn't formally put everything together for like a um, journal and then, um, you know, just kind of stuff happened. So actually I'm really happy though, because some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, um, with diet flexibility, I didn't have that experience when we were doing it. And now obviously that doesn't change the research because the research is its own thing. But in the discussion, we were able to add just a few sentences and just the way that I spoke about things in there um, that I wouldn't have had that experience then. So I'm really actually happy that we waited. Um, and I'm really, really happy that we were able to get it into GISSN because it's, it is a really good journal. Um, mm. and because it's open access, everybody can read it. So I'm thrilled. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so yeah. we're going to start with the first aspect, which is, and this whole, this whole, I guess, podcast and the whole intention behind the podcast is, it's the sports nutritionist podcast, and so we want to give people insight into the practical and pragmatic side of things, both from, hey, as a practitioner, the, this is uh, how I interpret and utilize the research, but also this is like how I use it in my practice, i.e., running a service-based business, right? And a lot of podcasts sort of like tend to talk about the former rather, rather than the latter. And so they'll focus a lot on the research and what's hot and what's in vogue as far as that goes and what that means, but they don't really touch on how you should be implementing things or considering things on a 
service provider business level. And so if you could give us a background both into your educational pathway, but let's start with your experiential and business pathway and what's led you to where you are now. Yeah. So I guess they all kind of culminate. So it's a nice little story, right? All packaged mm. together. Um, so growing up, I did have an eating disorder, which many people who find themselves in the fitness industry came from that background. So I had a unhealthy interest in food for a long time, um, but that did open my eyes to, oh, there are people who are have this job called registered dietitian. And there's, you think, you know, like just different stuff that I wouldn't have known. Otherwise I got into track and cross country and high school. And then I was very active and I started lifting weights. So everything kind of just like blended very well for my early life. Um, and then when I graduated high school, I knew I was going to go to Florida state for my undergrad. Um, and I had been, I got my personal training certification. I started training people in the summer. Um, and the gym that I trained at was like a total meathead gym. And I didn't know any different, you know what I mean? Like, I just thought that all gyms were just like, we had a group of people who all met at four 30. We all lifted. Like we all did, like, it was just a super, just awesome gym. And um, that's like the environment that I started like really training in. Um, and then when I got to Florida state, I was like, Oh, that's not normal. Um, but in that time <laughs> period, I did, um, go to my first bodybuilding show at that point, that was 2010. Um, so I saw the figure division and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. So I just had a lot of interest with training and diet. And I actually started my schooling as a dietetics major, um, at Florida state. So was into all that, you know, I was the person meal prepping in my dorm, like with my little mini fridge, <laughs> yeah. I was always training. Like I was that person. Right. Um, and then I actually did my first competition when I was 19, like an eight week prep that a, that a figure show. Um, and then I was like, wow, okay, this was really fun. But if I want to do this again, like I need to like take it a little bit more seriously. Mm. Um, and then at that point also school was kind of picking up. So, um, through all that, I'm in my undergrad, I eventually switched my major from dietetics to exercise science. Um, and at Florida state, the exercise science program was very, very science heavy. <laughs> so I had to take all the bios, all the chems, all the physics, like all of those things that I didn't have to take as a dietetics major. Mm. Um, so I was very heavy into the sciences as well as of course, all of the, you know, other classes like, you know, metabolism one and two A&P, you know, the whole deal. So I was doing that, was running some research. Um, Dr. Mike Ormsby, he runs an awesome lab uh, at, U at, at Florida State. Um, so I was helping out with some research there. Um, and then just kind of doing all these things. I started coaching. I started competing. I was like, I was a very small scale, but doing everything, right? Mm. So then when I graduated, I was like, I know that I really enjoyed research. I know that I enjoy this bodybuilding thing. Um, so why don't I continue to go to school? Right. Like I liked the research aspect. Um, and I, it wasn't my study. I was just helping another grad student. So I thought, well, why don't I, I go do that? So, um, I was introduced to Dr. Bill Campbell and, um, I, you know, applied to USF and I got in and he was like, Hey, I want to do female physique enhancement research. And I was like, you're crazy. There's like three chicks at my gym, but I'm on board. I'm just not really sure we're going to have anybody who wants to do this. Cause again, this was like 2013, 2014, very yeah. different than it is now. Um, like literally for years, I was like the only chick in the gym. So 
Anyways, <laughs> I get I get to USF. It's amazing. Um, we sit down and he, you know, Dr. Campbell is one of the hardest working people I've ever met and had a very clear vision of like, this is what I want the lab to look like. This is what I want to do. Um, and it was like, okay, well, what do you want to do for your project? And um, so it was me, Dr. Campbell and Lane all sat together. Um, and this was in 2014. So this was kind of like the heyday for flexible dieting, right? Mm-hmm. When there was a lot of um, swinging from bro meal plan to like IFYM is it or, you know, hit cardio is it like just very, just kind of a polarizing time in the industry. Right. Um, mm. So we thought, well, why don't we look at like, let's actually look at the differences of how different diets affect weight loss and weight regain. So that's how all of that started. So that's where my background is. I'd been coaching for a few years. I'd done my undergrad. I started grad school, started my research, was competing, turned pro, like just all these different things. So that's kind of where it all began. And um, yeah. And so for people who aren't familiar with Team LocoFit, can you give them a rundown as to like a snapshot of the business now as it is? So I started it when I was at Florida state, um, I, you know, started with one client and I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm, you know, she asked me, can you be my coach? I said, sure. (laughs) And it started that way. And then I had done some in-person personal training before. Um, and, but this was, this was new, you know, the whole online thing. Right. So I did, Mm. you know, I started working with a few people, um, you know, mostly that I knew and then at the gym and stuff like that. Um, and then eventually it just kind of became like a word of mouth thing. Very, very like small, um, and then after I did turn pro in 2014, um, I was highly encouraged to start coaching a little bit more, uh, legitimately, like get a website, get an LLC. You know, I didn't have any of that. I literally was like, yeah, I'll coach you. Like, do you, like we'll meet up for cat. Like, like literally it was so like, I don't even know what the beginning programs looked like. I don't have that same computer anymore. So I'm sure it was awful. I'm probably glad that I don't have access. To <laughs> um, I'm just doing everything on like just basic word docs. I mean, it was just, you know, starting very small, but um, then eventually progressed to taking on more and more clients. Um, and then I, I honestly actually wasn't sure what I wanted to do at the end of my master's. I was like, do I do this thing? Like, you know, at that point it was like, are, are the coaches that I know, um, who are doing this whole time, are they just like lucky? You know, is this like a thing that's going to go away? Should I get a real job? You know, like all those questions. Right. And, um, you know, Dr. Campbell was, was really helpful and, you know, we had so many great conversations and he was like, listen, you've already been doing it part-time. Um, and you're never going to know what it's like to be doing this full-time unless you actually do that. Um, so I decided once I finished the master's that I was going to take it full time. And then I've been doing that ever since. And now we have a team of it's myself and three other coaches. Um, and so we've grown, you know, completely different to like when I first started, like, Oh, you want me to be your coach in, you know, 2013 to now, um, you know, a legitimate team. Um, and all of the coaches on the team are absolutely incredible. Um, I'm very, very blessed to have them. So, yeah, that's, that's where we're at now. It's still all online at this point. Um, I have never, the only in-person things that I do, um, are like speaking events and seminars and all those types of things, which I absolutely love. Um, cause I'm like very extroverted. I like being around people. It's so funny. I'm like the worst person to own an online business. I absolutely hate technology. <laughs> I hate being on like the screen. Um, but I'm like, Oh, but I run an online business. <laughs> Um, I would say that I I really cherish those events because of that. Um, but yeah, at this point, everything is still online. Um, you know, who knows in the next few years, how things could change. Um, I would love to have something that's more in person. Um, but for now, 
we are online and we service people all over the world because that, which is, which is really cool. And that's Mm. obviously the the main benefit of having, you know, an online business is being able to work with clients all over. We have tons of clients in Australia, different countries, different parts of the U S I mean, it's just, I wouldn't be able to do that otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, online is definitely the way to go. Um, face-to-face having an element of that, I think should be something that practitioners always consider because it offers you, I mean, like I I, I can say this to you and you'll probably understand it, but like I had this period where I was like doing sports nutrition for clients online. I was studying and then working from home. So like studying from home, working from home, living at home. And I was going nuts. And I thought that was a big milestone for me. And I was like, wow, I'm like living the dream. And then after a month, I was like, wow, I'm getting like the most crazy cabin fever. Because- yeah, like it's like literal psychosis. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> it, I'd come from working in gyms with people and having X amount of social stimulation to then owning facilities yeah. and having staff and then over 300 yeah. members that I talked to as well. And I didn't realize how much of an adjustment it was to go from all of this incidental social interaction to then none. I love how you said that incidental social interaction because it's so true. So even I'm sure you're like this as well. I'm just talkative. I'm always engaging with people. So like if I'm at a, if I'm grabbing coffee or I'm at an airport, like I'm smiling at people, I'm engaging, I'm having like a little conversation, not like, you know, ridiculous, but I'm always interacting with people. Right. And Mm. even like when I'm not doing that, it's like, Oh gosh, like, you know what I mean? Because you're just you're yeah. on this little screen all day um, and you feel like you're going crazy, or at least I do too. Um, mm. So I've I had totally conversations with members about this recently as well. Yeah. And that's what I think. So, um, and it's, you know, obviously last year was, it was a big adjustment for a lot of people, um, especially for extroverts <laughs> um, yeah. in the sense of, you know, pretty much a lot of that got shut down. And, you know, I was very lucky to still be able to do a handful of things, you know, within reason, um, but it was substantially less than I had been used to. Um, and I was like, Oh my gosh, and it was so funny because even, you know, the clients who I have who, you know, they're like, I, you know, I'm a self-proclaimed introvert. I would rather be alone. And they're like, I'm literally like, need to just go somewhere to like talk to people. I'm like, yeah, imagine how we feel. <laughs> imagine how the intro- the extroverts feel. But um, it was just, it, it really, I think I've always loved the in-person aspect, especially with yeah. seminars. Um, I think that there is some, there really is something to be said for the same information online or in person, like in like a webinar sense, right? Mm. Uh, webinar versus seminar. And there's just so much that you can gather in person that, um, I've always known that, but I think a lot of people are like, Oh, it's just better to be a webinar. But I think last year, really, a lot of people really appreciated, I think now, like, man, I really want to like go to an event or go do something like that. Um, and obviously you, you know, you can't deny the accessibility of a webinar or something that's online, right? Like it's just, it is so much easier, but, um, I always try to encourage people, like if you can make it to a seminar, like go do that. Um, you'll get so much out of it. And, and if you are, at least for me too, as a coach and a presenter, when I'm going to events, um, whether I'm speaking or I'm attending, I learn a lot just by watching 
how the presenters like present information. Um, I'm learning how I can, you know, I'm trying to be perceptive. Okay. How was this run? Um, you know, maybe I don't know all the backend details, but I can see like how things are situated, how I'd want them to be when I do something next. Um, and again, that just engaging with people is just priceless. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think a lot of people sort of chase the idea, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and, and this romantic notion that once I'm all online, it'll be good. And it's like, yes, I think having a very good online foundation to your business is a really good thing. But I think people underestimate then the value of having a small aspect of face-to-face, whether that's monthly seminars, workshops, whether that's 20% of your time allocation in a week for one-on-one consultations or a face-to-face consultation in some capacity, that blended model, that hybrid model to me is a more superior model because you're A, less likely to get cabin fever if you're an extrovert. And for me, I noticed it, like it set in within about a month or and I was like, wow, something feels off. I don't know what's going on. And then I was like, whoa, I would probably speak to 20 to 50 people a day, half of which are my friends. And now I don't have that engagement or interaction in some capacity. And then I was like, well, do I, do I go back to coaching just to get that? And I was like, well, no, like your responsibilities are beyond that of coaching five, six to eight appointments a day. You've got time commitment. So I, I wasn't able to do that. But then, then it was like, right, we, I needed to look at our team within the association and go, right, who is in Brisbane? We've all got to get together. Who are the important ones? And we need to be working together. And now, even though we've got Slack, we've got Zoom, we've got email, um, all this stuff. And we've got the ability to like chat with each other quickly online. The bandwidth and the data rate of that communication and environment is limited to what we can type on our keyboard and then the interpretation of the person on the other end and, and, and their availability to respond, right? If they're not available yeah. at that time. Whereas if we're in person, we can achieve so much more just through dynamic live conversation. And that, that's very similar to what you're talking about with webinars, right? People can type something in, but it's like, is that message going to get picked up? Are they going to address it or anything like that? Whereas if you're in person in a seminar and you're asking a question, the presenter is going to be like, did I answer it? If not, then you'll have more of a dynamic from there to then get to the bottom of it to then address their questions, whatever they may be. Yeah, it is just night and day different. And I always try to explain it to people, but um, you really just have to, you know, I get it. There's so many events going on, but if you can just say like, all right, I'm going to pick one or two a year that I really want to go to, um, you know, start saving for that, set aside, um, you know, the resources you need, the time you need, all that. um, It can really make a huge, huge difference, especially if you are somebody who is wanting to do that yourself or does do that yourself. Like I said, I pick up so much just by watching other people in person, like how they do things, yeah. <laughs> um, like what to do and what not to do. Right. Like that's, mm. that's a big part of learning. Um, and everybody has a different style. So it's, it's okay to be like, Oh, maybe I don't like, I like how they do that for them, but like, I wouldn't do that for me or, Oh, I don't like how that come that came across or, Oh, I really like how that person integrated this way. Um, and that's just how you always get better. Yeah, exactly. So just touching back on your career, um, you were saying the first person you had as a client was when, was that when you were at Florida state? Yep. And yep. She was one of my um, friends, um, in the program and basically was like, Hey, can I have a coach? Like, I, can you be my coach? Like you have a coach. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you competed at that point. Yeah. Yes. So I had done my first show, um, two years prior. 
And then I had taken, I was, I was not act, I was actually getting ready to start competing again. Um, because I, you know, I really needed to add some substantial muscle at that point. I was like a natural 20 year old. Like, I mean, even now I don't have enough muscle for figure, like let's be real. But, um, at that point I thought I, I thought I might. Right. Um, so I really needed to take some time to like actually build and train. And yeah, I was about midway through, I had done some of the dietetics courses and then I switched and I was in the exercise science track. Um, so I had some of the, you know, application as well as some of the, the schooling as well. Um, but I would say, and that's definitely what, you know, we obviously want to touch on just, you know, not just on this podcast, but like this podcast as a whole and just SNA as a whole, it's not just about the information. It's about how are you applying this? How are you communicating? Um, how are you speaking to people? How are you reading them? How are they reading you? Are you being clear? Are you being concise? Like there's so many things, um, that I'm sure that I probably got right as far as from a coaching perspective, but I probably didn't communicate them nearly as effectively as I could have. Right. Yeah. Like the information might not have changed that much, but it's the delivery. Um, you know, it's, it's the way that, you know, you can say the same thing to five different people and like, they're all going to interpret it differently. So as a coach, your job is to be able to take the message that is important, but be able to communicate it to all five of those different clients who have the different way of understanding it. Mm, definitely. So, so you were at that point, one of the very few competitors, female competitors doing physique sports within your circle, people saw you doing it. And then they were like, Hey, you look amazing. Can you help me do this? I'm looking at doing it as well. And I think that's a, that was a really common natural progression for people going through. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make us sound like real old here. So I'm so sorry in advance. It's like close to about 10 years ago. I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, crazy, right? So I don't want people totally to think different. if I want to be a physique coach, I just need to compete, do really well in a show in 2021. And then I'm going to have all these clients come to me. I, I always communicate to people like, like when they're thinking about their business plans and stuff, it, like the way that I communicate is timing and skill. How much skill did they have at that point in time? So here's Lauren, who's got, has been working as a personal trainer, years of experience there. And then at the same time, you are doing, you've done undergrad in dietetics, you've tra- changed into undergrad in exercise sciences, and then you're doing that about to go into your postgrad and you've competed as well before. So it's not as simple as in 2021, start competing, do well, and everyone will come to you. In 2013, that may have been the case, but then you would still need years of experience coaching people as a trainer and then the theoretical understanding, at least at that uni level, at that undergraduate level to be somewhat successful in that. Yeah, it was definitely a very different industry, you know, just 10 years ago. Right. And, Mm. um, you know, the industry is always going to change and, you know, I don't think it's necessarily for the worst. I just think that it's just different now. Um, and you have to be able to understand, okay, what do I want to focus on? So I think a big thing that a lot of coaches struggle with, um, and even something that I've struggled with before, so this is not just like, Oh, me saying you're like, everybody struggles with this, um, is, well, what should I focus on? Who should I work with or whatever? Right. And there is no proper answer. You just have to decide what you want to do. Right. So I know people who only work with competitors, right? I know, I know people who only work with lifestyle clients. I know people who only work with, right? Like they have these very, very specific businesses. And a lot of the 
business coaches in this space will tell you to do that. And I don't think that it's bad advice at all. Um, I understand, you know, it makes it very clear (laughs) what you are offering when you only work with a certain type of person. Um, But I would say that I really struggled because I thought, wow, do I need to do that? Like other people are doing this. Do I need to do that? And I was like, no, I like working with a lot of different clients as far as like what their goals are, but we're using like similar methods, like throughout every single one of those clients that we're servicing. Mm. Um, and that was really important to me. And that took me years to be able to like formulate into words. Cause I always just felt like, you know, kind of dating myself. Right. When I first started, didn't even need to think twice about that. Like literally it was just like, I'm coaching, I'm going to school. I'm, you know, competing and people are just kind of like, yeah, sure. sure. Now, (laughs) even a few years ago, you know what I mean? It's very, very different because there are so many coaches um, and there are so many people who are are interested in this, you know, world um, and this industry and want to be a part of it. So the pool of like, you know, people is going to be spread out differently. So I would say that I, I really struggled with that. So any coach who's listening, you know, if you want to like totally like niche down with one specific group of people, like you want one type of client or you want to have lots of different types of clients, but then you have to have, okay, what is my message? What are my like foundational principles that I'm using? And that's what you need to speak about. So it's neither is right or wrong. You just have to be able to um, decide really what you want to do. Right. It's kind of like Mm -hmm. when you decide, okay, like what is like, what is our business all about? Like, what is my mission? Like, what am I trying to do? And it doesn't mean that you can't deviate from that, but having like grounding principles is really useful, you know? Um, okay. Like what are some of the things that we focus on? You know, there are some, there are some teams that focus on totally different things and that's awesome. And there's other coaches that focus on different things. And like, if that's what they want to do, then like, that's what they should do. Um, but you have to figure out, okay, what are we going to be good at and really kind of, you know, weave that throughout all of our clients that we work with. Yeah, I agree. And I think people, uh, I think sort of looking at your story up until now as well, people can be cool with the suggestion of like, your mission is just to get experience, right? Like (laughs) if you don't know, that's okay. Um, you know, you don't have to niche down straight away. It took you how long until you really niched in the scope of your experience today? Um, honestly, I would say like within the past year, <laughs> like, like I'm not even, I'm not being like sarcastic. Like I was just like, we do a lot of different things. And I was always like really struggled to even like put it to words. Like, what do we do with who, like, what are like, you know, it was very kind of confusing and cause it, it was just different than a lot of other people. And I said, no, like, we're going to have, like, we focus a lot on, you know, diet flexibility teaching sustainable habits. Um, you know, all we really like to weave in the habit building with like the science, right? Like that's what I really like to do as far as like nutritional practices and all of that. Um, and actually getting people long-term results, whether they are competitors or they're just learning like what, you know, protein is right. And we have all of those Mm. clients. Um, so we work with everybody from very competitive athletes, um, all the way down to the very, very novice beginner. And it was like, well, that's kind of confusing, but it's really not when we say, okay, what are we going to focus on? Okay. These things. And then we can apply them to all the different, um, you know, clients as needed. So I would say that, yeah, like within the last year that got clear to me and I've been doing this now for eight years. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's really cool. So like your, I guess your niching down was niching down on principles rather than a market 
specifically. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or is the market valued? Yeah, those principles. Yeah. And that was, um, you know, I was kind of torn with that because I saw so many coaches niche down, you know, on the specific type of client um, mm. and not just those principles. And of course they, they still use their principles. So it's not like they're not using principles. Um, but I was like, man, should I do that? And then I just felt, I always felt so pulled because I love all my different clients. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? like we have high level, you know, physique competitors and, you know, strengths for athletes and all this stuff. Like I love working with athletes. Um, and then we have other people who are like, getting through med school or like flight school or like moms or like all that, like I want to work with all these people, you know, so it doesn't Mm. necessarily want to just focus on, on the one group. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's a good segue to our next point, which is talking about diet flexibility, right? So all the, like, I guess the cornerstone principles of your business, right? So the next things we're going to talk about diet flexibility and then modified intuitive eating and what modified intuitive eating is to you. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, so diet flexibility was something that I started looking into with my, uh, my research. And so there's this whole world of like food psychology, right. And, Mm -hmm. um, there's basically to make it, to break it down, we're going to put the shameless, shameless plug. I don't even care. We're going to share the link for the study. If you guys want to check it out, um, in these show notes, you can, should it got published a couple of days ago. I haven't, let's do a fun exercise here. I haven't, I haven't read it. So I'm just going off my memory from the 2016 conference here. (laughs) Okay. I think it was 2016 in Clearwater. So it was comparing yeah. rigid bodybuilding, a rigid bodybuilding approach, like meal plans. With meal plan, a, yeah. With, with a flexible dieting, if it fits your macros approach with physique yeah. competitors. Now the physique competitors, no. no? Just, just resistance trained. Just resistance trained and it was females, yeah? No, it was everybody. Everybody. Okay. Yeah. You know, all my memory is not that good. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're killing it. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, so, so to be fair, a lot of Campbell's research now is just females, um, in the lab, but ours was a mixed, like, you know, mixed group. Um, and yeah, we looked at, there was a 10 week deficit, um, randomized, you know, all, all that stuff and, um, all the sciencey things that you should do. But basically we looked at a meal plan versus, you know, tracking macros and would that affect weight loss? And more importantly, would that affect weight regain? Cause remember again, the time period of that this is in, you know, all you're hearing about is the horror stories of meal plans and bro coaches. And you get these six foods and then you have these blowout binges afterwards and you gain all the weight. And then right. Like all of these vicious cycles. And when I started looking into the literature to kind of piece some stuff together, I mean, it was pretty clear, like weight cycling, not, not really something that we're trying to do, right? Like not mm. really um, healthy in, in any capacity, um, but it is very common, right? So yo-yo dieting, weight cycling, there's all that kind of research. And then there's the research on the like different types of restraint and how there's flexible and there's rigid restraint and how, um, it, you know, it's, they are, they are different. So rigid restraint would be more of the black and white thinking, very like, this is good. This is bad. Um, and, you know, in my mind in 2014, when we're coming up with this 2015, oh, okay. That means meal plan. And then, oh, flexible restraint. That's flexible dieting because flexible dieting is so flexible, right? You can eat whatever you want I'm doing yeah. air quotes for anybody who's just listening. Um, and so we did the study and at this point, I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really care what the results are. I'm just excited. Um, and what I found was because these were not competitors, these were people who had all different backgrounds, but they had to at least resistance train for over a year. So they weren't just like total newbies, um, but they were people who had all different backgrounds with food intake. Hmm. Um, so 
basically it was it pretty much showed everything came out as like there was no statistical significant statistically significant differences between the groups there was one um and fat-free mass went up in the flexible group in the post-diet period um but we ran some other numbers and we couldn't really attribute it to anything so we're we're just kind of saying it could have been a finding or it could like it might not be replicatable so we're not really like hanging our hat on that um pretty much in my mind there were no differences which if you're reading a science paper, that's kind of boring, but in our context, it's actually not because I'm like, this is interesting. There were, you know, the meal plan was actually really useful for people. Well, why was it useful? It showed them what portions were. It showed them what types of foods they should be like trying to eat. And these for the certain people, like they didn't have any background in that. Right. Um, so though, for those people who had less, what I called it like food education, um, they really, really thrived on it. And they, we didn't see any of these negative um, problems afterwards. Now, this is, I'm very aware that this is a 20 week study. This does not mean that everybody who's ever going to eat on a meal plan is never going to have issues, but within the context of what we were doing, um, you know, I do think there's a, there is a big, aspect to when we're talking about the, this is a segue, sorry, but the bodybuilding community using rigid meal plans. Um, there's a big aspect, not only bodybuilding is it's in and of itself a very <laughs> tough thing because of physiologically how strained the body is. Like for a female, you're getting the 10% body fat. Like that's not healthy. That is not normal. Um, mm. You're going to see some side effects from that, no matter what foods you're eating. Right. But the psychological component of it is also very different. If you're having a coach who's like, here's your meal plan. Don't deviate. If you do, you're a piece of shit. You're a terrible client. There's a lot of other psychological things going on here. Whereas obviously for our research, we weren't doing that whatsoever. So I came away with it with a a deeper understanding of, hmm, well, some people might really respond well to this meal plan, not necessarily because meal plans are the best thing ever, but because it gave them some foundation that they didn't have before. Yeah. Framework um, to succeed. Yeah. It's they're give it's, it's giving them education. And then when I started to work with more clients, I started to realize like, you know, working with a broader range of clients, Oh, not everybody needs to track macros right away. Not everybody. I was like, why is this confusing for you guys? Like, why don't I understand this? You know, so condescending. Like it's, I want to like kick myself in the face thinking about how I used to like think like tracking macros is so easy. Like you should totally be able to do it. Yeah. Five minutes of your day. Yeah. Technically it is easy. You know what I mean? But it's also easy for me because I have been tracking and measuring food for most of my life. Right. Exactly. Um, it's one of those things that like now, like I'm like, Oh, cringe. Right. Um, so that was kind of the first understanding of like, okay, there's, there's more to it than this. Um, but it wasn't really until a few years ago that I really started realizing that everything that I had read about with the rigid mindset and the rigid restraint, um, I was seeing that with my clients who were tracking their macros. Mm. I was like, well, this is interesting because this is supposed to be so flexible. You can eat whatever you want. You can just substitute things and you can fit them. And even myself, you know, I found myself going through these cycles of competing. And, you know, even though I had tracked macros the whole time, there was of course going to be some, you know, negative psychological, you know, rebounds afterwards, right. Which again is, is mostly related to competing and less of the food, but in any case, started to notice these things. And I thought, wow, tracking macros can be just as rigid as eating off of a meal plan. And it really doesn't matter what the type of diet is. It really goes back to that mindset. Mm. And now again, I think about it and I'm like, obviously, but I didn't have all of that experience and that understanding. 
just a few years ago to where I do now. Um, and now that I'm like on the other side, I feel like I've like taken the red pill and I'm like on the other side. Right. And I can like see the pods and everybody in the matrix, because when I see people try to tell me like to my face, like I have no issues. I just like to track everything perfectly. You're like, well, why don't you, can you like go out to dinner without tracking? No, I don't need to. I I'm fine with it. I, I can do it. I, I didn't say that you couldn't do it, but do you need, yeah, I I feel better doing it. Well, why, why do you feel better doing this? Right. And you start to see all of these same issues um, that we saw with the meal plans um, or any type of rigid dieting. Let's let's not even say meal plans, like, you know, South beach diet, Atkins, whatever the hell keto, like all these different types of diets, right. Plant-based whole 30, it's all the same umbrella and IFYM fits in there just the same if you apply it with that mindset. So about two years ago, I decided like I'm planting my flag here. Like I'm pretty flexible with my approach for things. Um, but that was something that I was like, this is really, really important work. And I want us to be incorporating this for clients. Again, doesn't matter if you are a top level athlete where you're just beginning, there's obviously going to be differences with how we add this in. Um, but understanding that diet flexibility and actual flexibility with your restraint is the most important thing. And that means saying yes to some things and that also means saying and no other things as well. Mm. Um, Exactly. And understanding when, right? Like if you're, if you're four weeks out from an event, let's say you've got to make weight for you're a performance athlete, you might be weightlifting, powerlifting, whatever. um, And you want to perform really well. It means saying, you know, like go out with your friends and if you want to have an untracked meal, do so, but it really limits your palate that you can choose from, right? Otherwise you might have to track. But if you're in the off season and you're like, no, 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 I can't track. I've got to make weight. And you're nine, 12 months away. That's probably a time where we want to be encouraging you to not have that. Yeah. And, and what I've seen from this, cause there's been, you know, substantial backlash. I mean, okay. Backlash for what we do, not not like actual backlash, but people, you know, questioning it or not understanding or saying, I don't need this or whatever. It's like, it, I'm not asking people to completely fall off of their diet or to, to eat even less, what they would maybe deem healthy, right? Which that's mm. kind of, what does that word mean? Subjective. Right? Yeah. Very subjective. Um, but I'm not even asking somebody to eat very differently. Here's a perfect example. I was just in Charleston for a client show this past weekend. Um, I had a few clients competing and I went out to eat and, um, there's a lot of great food in Charleston. If anybody's ever visited, it is such a foodie place, like tons of, um, just great restaurants, bars, et cetera. So I'm at this place. It's like a brewery. Um, and I've been really into sour beer lately. Like I just love sours recently. So they had a really good mango sour. And I said, okay, I want to get one of these. I'll likely get two. So I'm going to make a tighter, less calorie dense food choice. Even though I would love to eat something that was more calorie dense here, I'm choosing to have this drink, right? So I'm going to order a salad and I ordered a bunless burger, literally just, it was like a a beef patty with like more vegetables. Right. And that's what I chose to do. Um, now if I had not wanted to have the beer and I was like, man, there was something else that I really wanted instead, or I could have also just said, you know what? I just want that salad. And that's what I want instead. So it's not about saying, Hey, go have an untracked meal and have 37 beers and, you know, three burgers and, you know, five cookies. Like you, you don't have to do that. You can just have a normal balanced meal and you're making some choices of things that you want. And then you're also moderating other choices. And that's really where 
the flexible restraint comes in because there mm-hmm. is what happened is when I started talking about this, people focus a lot on the flexibility, right? Oh, it's too flexible. It's too this, like you're doing whatever, but it's like, no, no, there's, there's also the second part of that word is restraint. And yeah. there is still restraint there because it's actually a lot easier. It is a lot easier, Alex, to be like, you know what? I'm at this brewery fuck it. I'm going to order whatever I want because I'm already at a brewery. I'm not somewhere where there's healthy food. I mean, that wasn't necessarily like the healthiest place to eat there. Right. I mean, there's not really a lot of healthy places in Charleston, but I looked and I made, okay, what I'm, what's the best option that I can make here. That was it. And that was the choice that I wanted to make for my goals while still enjoying something that I want. So that's such a small example, Mm. but those things really add up because those are the choices that we are faced with literally every single day. So if I were to say, Every time I traveled and I saw somewhere like that and I just ate shit food every time, well, I probably wouldn't have the best health or, you know, physique that I wanted. Um, And sometimes you make that choice. You say, you know what? I really want this one thing, but then I'm going to have to make some other choices differently at a different point in time. Yeah. It's just, it's a swap or a Um, Mm trade-off. And I think people like whilst it's like, like you touched on it before, like whilst it's, you, Hey, you're in Charleston, it's not known for its healthy food. Um, and you pretty much wherever you go, you can prioritize plants and lean protein. It, it'll yes. be there. It's just a matter. Yes. It's a matter of exercising that restraint and making a conscious choice to at least have those. Hey, I want to have these two beers, right? What, what, what's my lean protein and plant source going to be? Yeah, exactly. And then if I didn't want to have those beers and I could have ordered something else, um, or I could have just ordered that still and been fine with it. it just really depends. You know, the other meals I brought other meals with me. Um, and then I would eat a few meals out and then have some things that I enjoyed. Like everybody has those different things that they enjoy. And my goals right now are very different, right? Like my goals are just kind of maintaining. So mm. it's a little easier to maintain. I can have more flexibility and be able to maintain, um, I'm not eating like that, obviously, every every week. Um, well, actually, kind of lately I have been because I've been traveling <laughs> like all the time. But because of that, right? Like I have a lot of, I travel a lot. My clients travel a lot or they have work events and work lunches and they have to go places with people. And you can't just shut off. You can't just always say, no, I can't go to this. Sometimes it is literally required based on your job. Like we have to take these people out or we have to go meet these people here. And yeah, sometimes maybe you really don't want to eat there. Maybe you've already eaten and it's kind of at a weird time, but you can't always say no. You have to be able to have those tools Mm. um, and say, all right, what can I choose here? Um, And not either completely say no or completely go off the rails. Mm. Um, And that was what the principle behind IFYM was. In my opinion, that is what it sought to do. Um, You know, hey, we're coming from this really rigid meal plan. I don't want to have broccoli. I want to have green beans. Why can I have that? Right, a silly example, but you know, being able to make substitutions. Why can't I do this? No, but those, that, that example was like what people were asking back in the day, though. That, and that's what people confuse it. They go from like swapping a source of green vegetables to like pop tarts at every meal. Exactly. And then what happened was, of course, as always, the pendulum has to swing really far the other way. And then it became, well, how much shit can I fit into my macros and still have these? you know, have these abs. And again, Mm. it's not that that is a problem, right. But it's all, it is, it is a problem when it becomes one. Right. And I've literally been in situations um, where I've observed this with people who are, you know, eating supposedly hundreds and hundreds of grams of carbs, and they can't figure out how, how much their sweet potato weighed because they didn't have their scale with them. 
Like mm. that is what you've now completely dissociated from what is actually in front of you. And you are only caring about what you can physically see on a scale or like a food scanner. Yeah. Um, and that is not teaching any long-term behavior change whatsoever besides to be like obsessed with this thing. Um, and I actually, um, one of the things, another coaching point is sometimes or not sometimes a lot of times when we don't experience something ourselves, it can be really hard to see it for clients. Right. So for yeah. me, I never used to use a food tracking app. I'm, we joked about it in the beginning, but really I'm like not a technology person. Like I, like, I don't know how I have an online business. Like it's a miracle. <laughs> um, it barely functions. Like just, we have the most basic stuff. Um, but I never used a food tracking app. If I needed to look something up, I would, I would either look it up, um, just like on the web, <laughs> on the World Wide web, um, or on my computer, <laughs> or, you know, at some point I just, you know, I just memorized kind of what is in this. Right. Um, and so for me, I never plugged it in. I never saw the zeros. I was never just scanning and putting it away. I was always saying, okay, well, what is on my plate? How much is this? You know, roughly I'm going to put some meals together. So I never had that other layer of added, like, like distortion, I guess, with Mm. tracking because of the app. And I see so many people with that. And I was like, so stumped for a while. Like, why is this a problem? And then I'm like, all right, as I learn more about like behaviors and especially with like technology and, and all these types of things, like it makes sense. So as a coach, sometimes, even if you're not necessarily struggling with something, you have to be able to detach and say, okay, what are my clients consistently having problems with? If I see five clients with five different backgrounds and five different goals, having a similar issue, this isn't just random anymore. Something is happening. They're not all just talking and having the same issue. You know what I mean? Like these are all different people. So I need to look into this and see, even if I maybe have never dealt with it before, it's obviously something that is real. Um, so I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but I no, no, but it's we talked about bringing it application based. And that really is important for mm. coaches. How, how like on that, on that topic, right? So if we go, from a more objective perspective. So if we look at things from a bird's eye view and we go, right, having a meal plan is just a tool and it's a system to help organize structure for consistency around food. Tracking is a way of developing some form of flexible literacy as it relates to food. How long would you ta- would you estimate based on your experience it, for someone to start who, let's just say they're completely green, they have no experience with food. They're just a you know, weekend warrior general population person through to have developing a degree of literacy that would warrant them being approved for a modified intuitive eating approach. Mm-hmm. So I'm like so bad at giving direct numbers. Um, and or, I or what are the, rather, what's the checklist that you go through rather than it being yeah, a time well, frame? What, 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 I always what's try to say like, like try to think like a year, right? Like I know mm-hmm. that's, I, I was, always give people more time than they think that they need. Most people are like, Oh, I can do that in three months. You're like, absolutely not. Because we're not only, we have to first build. If you're starting very, very green. Okay. We have to build some baseline habits 
then after the baseline habits and like you're successful with that, then if we want to get into, you know, tracking all three targets, like first let's track protein and then let's track, you know, all three targets. And then after that, you know, maybe we go through a diet while we're tracking so that we can actually see, okay, what is this like look like as far as portions? Um, because you know, you're not really going to be able to rely just on hunger, especially the first few times you're doing this. Um, so I would say that, you know, going through those processes and then saying, all right, we've, done this for a little while, let's just say a year, that's when it's time, you know, it could be a time, could be, um, to transition to maybe some more habit tracking. Um, and that's what we like to label as is just habit tracking for people. Um, and that just means, again, we have something that is quantifiable for clients. Um, it, you know, people obviously like numbers, um, especially if you're hiring an online coach, you typically like numbers. Um, and it's also nice to have having some kind of accountability, like having a coach, a lot of it is having accountability. And if I'm just like, just eat what you want. I mean, that's, there's not really much that we can be objective about there, but if we have a list of a few baseline habits that are really key to be eating, to be having, no matter what you're eating, whether you're just starting or you're tracking, or you're doing this more intuitive approach now, um, they're kind of just these baseline habits you should be fulfilling. Um, but sometimes just having that as a checklist can be really useful. Like at the end of the week being like, Oh man, you're right. Like maybe I, I thought I was doing better here, but I really wasn't. Or, Oh, I realized I wasn't getting enough protein servings. And like, let me change that this week. Mm. Um, and I think that's the biggest, again, misconception of this more intuitive approach is just saying, Oh, you're going to eat what you want when you want. And I would say that for certain people that that might be fine, but if you have any type of physique or health or performance goal, you are going to need to put some level of effort um, and some level of restraint into that. doesn't mean that you need to be tracking macros. That's only one tiny, tiny part, but that also doesn't mean that you throw away, you know, basic science that we know, okay, you should probably be eating X amount of protein over X amount of meals probably a good thing to be doing. You know, we need micronutrients. We need to eat, not just processed foods. We need to sleep. We need water. We need like, you know, we need stress management tools. Like it's not just like we're throwing all this out the window um, because you're not tracking through your numbers anymore. And I'll be really honest. There are times that now as somebody who doesn't track macros, technically um, I'll make better choices, right? Because there was times where yeah, I was tracking my numbers and I was hitting them, mm. but there were so many times where I would just fill it with, you know, trash food, which again, ha- like, it's not that that's a bad thing. It's just, I'm saying that it doesn't, you tracking three numbers doesn't mean, or not tracking them doesn't mean that you, you're not consuming them. Yeah. It, yeah. So, yeah. um, I think that the idea of having this more flexible or intuitive approach is really great. And that should be the long-term goal for people to be able to self-regulate and self-moderate. But there does need to be a baseline understanding and education first. And so, you know, I think that if everybody dedicated a year to something like that, they would be, they would have a lifetime of diet success. Mm. What people do is they want to put in eight weeks on a really rigid plan and kill it and, you know, lose 25 pounds just to gain 30. And they haven't developed any skills to help them navigate life because it's really easy to say no to stuff for eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks. I don't care. You can say no to things for a good amount of time because it's easier, but what's going to happen afterwards. And that's more of what we're concerned about. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. And I would say like, if we were to just brainstorm now, like, and look at sort of like, like a meal plan archetype and then a flexible dieting tracking archetype, like 
you're going to get, you're going to learn lessons from both. So I think having like, I think clients having periods of time in both is important for developing their literacy. And I, for me, when, when we go look at your, your 12 month example, right. Hey, at least for a year, it's like, what mistakes are you like, like what mistakes are you going to make so that we can learn from them so that you can learn. It's like, you're almost not going to learn without making the mistakes. So if you only have a flexible dieting approach and that's been your only tool, then you're missing out on the other tools that you would get from, you know, following a meal plan or, and then following principles or behaviors or whatever it is, there's, there's yeah. lessons that you're going to learn and mistakes that you're going to make from each of those. And they all form the parts of you being able to then really have a modified intuitive eating approach down the track. So if I think of meal plan and it's someone completely green, it's understanding that like, like, like portion control is a big one of, of, of their foods. Yeah. Understanding, um, and then also like, like timing of certain nutrients. So it's like, oh, it's on the plan. And then, you know, then they're not timing it the right way. And they're like understanding the timing of the plan is are things that you're going to get only in a meal plan approach that you're not going to get if you're just tracking the three numbers. Because it's like, yeah. it doesn't matter as long as I hit these. And it's like, no, the coach is like, you didn't have your pre-training meal. I put carbs in there for you. Yeah. Or, you know, it, it's, it's, Whew, it's always interesting when you're just like, Hey, could you just like send me like a, like a, like a diet log for like the day just to like, see what's going on. And again, that's something that I came from a more of a rigid background. Right. Mm. So for me, it is literally, I don't have to think twice about, okay, I'm going to have three to four protein servings a day, sometimes five. It depends on what I'm doing. If I'm training, whatever, mm. right. Three to five. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to hit four. Sometimes it's three. Sometimes it's five. I don't have to think twice about that anymore. Right. It just yeah. happens. I don't just haphazardly eat all day. I eat in meals. I say, okay, how much protein am I going to have? Roughly I can eyeball it. How much do I need? Uh, I'm going to get some fruits, I'm going to get some veggies. Like these are things that I don't even think about now, but you'd be amazed. And I'm sure you've seen many of these um, like diet logs where, you know, somebody is hitting their numbers perfectly, Yeah, but they're eating like off the wall stuff, or they're eating at erratic times. And what, and what's happening with that is not only, Hey, well, we could actually like, we don't have to change a lot, but we could change these few things and you'd feel better. Your digestion would be better. Your training would be better. Your Mm -hmm. sleep would be better. Your adherence would be better. Like it just, it makes sense to set things up in a certain way. Um, doesn't mean that everybody's going to operate the same way. Cause like I said, we work with a lot of different clients who have a lot of different backgrounds, right? Um, mm. if I have a client who's going through medical school residency, her eating is going to be a lot different than somebody who, you know, is, you know, a personal trainer, right. Who has a little bit more flexibility, right? Like totally different life. Um, so I would say that it's, it's still important though, to say, okay, just cause I, don't think twice about this. I, you know, I still, and a lot of people who are coaches have already had these years of experience. You're not even thinking, wait, people are eating protein four times a day. Like oftentimes we can forget those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens? So, you know, okay, what was the big deal? If somebody skips breakfast, well, for some people it's fine, but for a lot of clients, if they, if they wait too long to eat, not for everybody, but for a lot of people that will then signal them to be like overly hungry. And then we've seen a lot higher incidence of overeating when people don't have 
you know, consistent feedings every few hours. Mm. And then it's like, okay, well, why are, and, and the client will say that like, man, if I skip breakfast, I'm really busy, but then by the time lunch comes around, I'm, I, I eat everything. And then that might set me off for later in the day. Okay. Mm. Well, we really want to avoid that. And I get that you're busy, but can you at least like take a scoop of protein and like mix that up the night before and grab that while you're leaving the house? Yes. Okay. We're going to do that. And it's not like it's this huge change. We're not making like a gourmet breakfast. We're just setting up something to adjust to their schedule. Um, now, again, if this is a top competitive client who's, you know, doing some type of athletic endeavor, like, yeah, you need to be eating a little bit more specifically, but even for the lifestyle client, it's not just hit your targets. Like you have to set it up in a way that is going to be accessible to them on a daily basis to actually be able to hit these things. Yeah. And I think like, you know, like, like you were saying, like just the modified points that you bring up to the behavior, you know, the majority of clients that we'll work with are typically like the general population, especially for where practitioners will be working. And so the suggestion like of having something at breakfast as well, like what we've, what we tend to identify is the hunger signals are huge and they tend to eat out a lot more. So it might be the difference between having something like a six inch sub at lunch with salads and all that, making the better conscious decision for the eating out lunch, as opposed to three burgers and a shake or something, something like that, yeah. or two pieces of pizza. And so just mm-hmm. including that breakfast option may, may do that. Now I know you wanted to talk a little bit about intuitive eating just on the whole and like where mm-hmm. you sit with it. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a great concept when somebody has this background and even when you have the background, what we're talking about here is still, we're still making choices. We still are practicing restraint. We're still moderating ourselves. Um, so if, if we're talking about health and, you know, having some type of physique goals and performance goals, not saying you want to step on stage or become a world record powerlifter, but if you have any type of goals in that area, um, you know, and just again, for your health and how you feel and, you know, aging and blood work and all those types of things, it makes sense to not just say, I'm just going to eat whatever I want, whenever I want, because that sounds really great, but it just doesn't work in practice, especially in the people that it harms are the people that actually need that background information. Mm. Because when you say that to somebody who's been struggling with yo-yo dieting for the past 10, 15, 20 years, and you say, no, just eat whatever you want. You don't diet diets don't work. You know, diets just don't work. You just eat. That's doing such a disservice to that person and Mm. their health and their longevity and their goals, because then they're thinking, Oh, well, I'll just, I should just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, And that is obviously not working. Right. So we need to change something. We don't need to radically change somebody's whole life, but we need to make some changes. And the only way to make those changes and the only way to have those changes as part of your, the rest of your life is to have this understanding. So I think that intuitive eating, um, you know, the people who, uh, uh, my frustration lies with a lot of the time, the people who are saying that, or it would be like, if I said that, right. Somebody who has a lot of experience and a lot of, you know, education around food and portions and understanding. And, um, if I were to say that, like, just see whatever you want, Alex, like you don't need to diet anymore. Like that's not fair. If you don't have the same background as me, right? Like that, that's just a different playing field now. Um, So instead of saying that um, in a way that is harming the people who need that, the the most help, why don't we say, okay, well, you know, it's not that diets don't work. 
it's the way that people implement diets that don't work. Mm. Like that is a hundred percent what it's, it's all based on how you are implementing these diets. That is what's not working. So why don't we create a system that allows you to implement these things sustainably and for the rest of your life. And Mm. if it looks like making a protein shake that you can have in the car on the way to work and going for a 20 minute walk and being able to say, okay, how much roughly eyeball, how many, how much portions I should be having of this and that at, you know, each meal, that sounds like a lot better of an idea to me than just saying diets don't work. You should be focusing on how you're feeling. Yeah. And I think that's sort of, if we look at, I guess, like our three the three main sort of like uh, predominant archetypes or like principles and tools we spoke about, right. With meal plans, tracking macros, and then having behavior focused things, we're going to get a lot of quantitative literacy from meal plans and from tracking macros and where we then develop a synergistic complementary qualitative literacy, like how you're feeling in relation to it is by adding the behavior based focuses and periods where focusing on behaviors, but also how you're feeling from it. But it's like, like, and this is something that I, we both agree on is that intuitive eating is something that provided you have a really high level of literacy, both qualitatively and quantitatively can be a great thing, but the pre-qualifier for it is your literacy. Yes. It would be like, again, if, if either of us said right now, like we're intuitive eaters, like technically I am, mm. if we're basing it off of, you know, the, the standard definition, but it's not even a fair assessment to say that with our experience, just time of what, how long we've been doing this to somebody who is very new and novice to this and really is like, is protein a good peanut butter source? Right. Like, like seriously, like yeah, or almonds, fair. like almonds, almonds, macadamia nuts, let's have them for our protein. Right. And it's like, yeah, uh, like- sorry. Yeah. And then, you know, half the bag's gone and that's, you know, a thousand calories and people are understanding that they're drinking, you know, these just carb laden drinks, which I'm not demonizing carb laden drinks. If you understand Mm. what's in that, but oftentimes people don't understand that that was just a hundred carbs that they drank. Yeah. And there's, there's no satiety there. And then it's like, do we need that? Or can we maybe, Hey, let's take this out and add something else here. Mm. Um, so there's just so many things that, um, you know, I think again, sounds great, but not sure if it works without more like disclaimers. Um, and like you said, the literacy really is everything and blending that qualitative and quantitative data collection for yourself, um, in different amounts is, is really what is most important. Yeah, I I agree. And I would say like the statements to me that, uh, you know, diets don't work. We need to intuitive eating, intuitive eating that we can see right now doesn't work for, it only works for weight management and weight, mate, sorry, weight maintenance. It's a weight management tool for weight maintenance. So if someone is obese and they need to lose weight to improve their health, then intuitive eating isn't going to work to help them have like become, become healthier. Right. So then defaulting to the statement of diets don't work. That approach right now to me is blind to and, and and requires a paradigm shift. And that statement is really like akin to saying saws don't work, nails, hammers and nails don't work, and all this stuff for building tables to people who aren't carpenters. And it's yeah. like those tools work really well in the hands of a carpenter, but and these tools work really well in the hands of someone that develops their literacy the same way that someone 
who is an apprentice develops their experience and literacy to, you know, making a table or something like that for whatever they want to make in carpentry. It's the same thing. It's like, but for some reason in our industry, we haven't bridged that gap and acknowledged that it's like, these are only tools and then experiential literacy development is required for any form of success. Well, I think it's the next swing, right? So we talked about that first swing of, you know, really, really rigid dieting, whether it's a meal plan or it was, you know, like the South Beach, Atkins, like all those types of things, right? Like the, the hard, rigid diets were swinging to, oh, IFIM, track your macros, eat whatever you like, make substitutions, be flexible. And then that's having obviously its own things. And then the next kind of swing is like, well, diets don't even work. So now we're just going to swing all the way over here to say, and it's like, no, 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 we need to come back to kind of the center and we need to take from both aspects. We need to listen to both sides of this um, and be able to regulate based off that. And of course, Mm. someone's background, someone's goals, someone's health, like all of those things are very different. Um, Sometimes it's a little more time pressing that we need to change these things. Other times it's like we have all the time in the world, right? It just depends on the state of where somebody's at. So I think just more context. And I think that that is the next thing in the industry that we need to tackle um, is being able to kind of shift that idea that like diets don't work. And every time I read that, I'm just like, I, and, 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 people are saying this not in a like satirical way. Like they, they really genuinely need it. And I get it because they're frustrated and they're thinking, I've tried all these things. They haven't worked. What's the point? You know what I mean? And oftentimes people cite the, well, you know, you gain all the weight back. And and again, this is what I looked at all the weight regain literature. Like it's pretty evident. You know what I mean? People lose weight and then they gain it back and they Mm -hmm. might even gain more back. And you're setting yourself up every time that you do these diets to put yourself in a metabolically and a, you know, hormonally suboptimal place, you gain the weight back and you just keep going. And it, it, I understand where that frustration lies. Um, but the solution isn't just to say, throwing my hands up, it doesn't work. We need to find a better solution. And that's what we're going to try to tackle now. Right. Here we are. That's it. (laughs) That's the plan. So we've covered a lot. I want to just throw back to you now, as we wrap up, if you can give any advice to people wanting to break out in the industry, say like beginners, intermediates, and then if there's any like advice for experienced practitioners as well, that you feel like you wish you were told back when you were starting and then halfway through. And then yeah. as you're more experienced, what would it be? I would kind of, I would kind of loop back to what we said in the beginning, right? Figure out, you know, and again, this isn't right or wrong, but you know, figure out what principles you want to operate off of. And you don't need to have the perfect business plan, the perfect niche, the perfect launch, perfect, whatever, right? If you want to start coaching, you need to have an understanding. Okay. What are the principles that I want to ground my business off of? How do I want to operate? And really what are the systems that I need in order to be successful for that? And systems, all that means is how am I going to run my check-in process? How am I going to respond to people? What is the modality that I'm choosing? Am I doing all online? Am I doing all in person? Am I blending the two? Am I going to try like figuring out just some of these basic things? Um, and then just going forward with that and doing a really good job with your individual clients. And then you can kind of start to poke your head up and go, all right, now what else do I need to focus on? Because I think a lot of times now, because there's so much information now, because what happened before was, you know, okay, the coaching industry itself exploded, but now the 
coaches to coaches industry has exploded. And all this information is out there of like how you need to start your business and how I need to do this. And, and it can be very, very overwhelming to people who are new and to people who've been in for a long time. I'm like launches, high ticket items. What are these things? Like, I don't even know what this means. Like I have my, like, you know, like, and of course I've developed more literacy in business as I've gone through this. Um, but I think it can just be very, very overwhelming. So figure out what principles you want to incorporate in your business and understand that your business can change. When I started the, when I started coaching people, I wasn't like, you know, how am I going to incorporate diet flexibility and long-term sustainable habits for all of our, like, I didn't know. I was just like, I'm going to coach people. Whoever's signing up, I'm going to coach and we're going to do, I'm going to try to do the best job and I'm going to develop that niche over time, I'm going to develop my, you know, skill set over time. What are we good at? What do I need to improve on? Um, so I would say, start with those principles, um, understand that they can change as your experience and your knowledge changes. Um, and don't be afraid to be like, wow, what I thought before was really like not optimal. I mean, literally I did the fucking paper on look thinking that flexible dieting is flexible restraint. Like, and now I was like, that was totally, like totally wrong. Like all those years in my master's program, I thought this is, we're finding that this is so awesome. I'm so excited. And then I was like, no, like (laughs) not at all. Like I completely misinterpreted that. And I had to be like, all right, sorry to everybody who I didn't know this before. I've, you know, kind of figured out that this is not maybe the best approach. And then we've, we've changed things. Um, and then also, like I said, figure out the systems that will make you, you know, successful and be open to changing those. Um, Mm. you know, anytime, you know, I'm somebody who's very stubborn and very kind of like set in my ways of like, I'd rather, I'm like more of a no person than a yes person. You know, um, there's some people like, yeah, yeah, let's do all this. I'm like, no, no, no. Occasional. Yes. Right. That's hard for me to change. Um, but sometimes you have to be willing to change things. Right. Um, and even if they are uncomfortable or, or maybe you just don't think, why do we need that? Right. When um, there's this application called loom L O O M. And it's basically like a video, like you can record it on your computer. Um, you can just have your face or you can just have the screen or you can have both. Um, and I had, you know, some of my coaches bring that up to me, like, you know, maybe we should be doing this, um, you know, more, you know, for certain, for certain um, aspects. And I was like, no, we got the check-in sheet, like check-in sheet is everything da, da, da. And that was just me because I'll get, you know, sometimes the video is like, it just doesn't work for me. And then sometimes they're great. So I was like, all right, they're on to something here. You guys implement that, see how you like it. Um, as long as you're getting the job done, it, that's fine. And I had to kind of let go of that. And now some weeks I use it, some weeks I don't, right? Like it just kind of depends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say find some systems, stick with them. Um, and then as far as advanced coaches, don't be afraid to, as you learn more through your experience or your schooling or both update kind of what you're saying. And even if it's totally different, and I know that that sounds really, really hard. Um, and I've been at seminars, right. Where, you know, we'll talk about something and I'll have coaches come up and they're like, man, this was great. And I like that really like highlighted something that I like, I need to be working on and I want to change this in my business. But how do I like come back now to tell my clients like, Hey, we've been doing it this one way. And now I've learned that that maybe isn't the best way. And I want to change it. Like, isn't that going to make me look like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm. Um, and I totally get that. Um, and that can be really scary, especially when somebody's new, they want to feel like, Oh, like somebody hired, like if you're hiring me, like you, they should be able to trust me that I, I know stuff, but you don't know everything and nobody knows everything. So the, the sign of a good coach is like, Hey, um, I learned 
you know, this new stuff this weekend um, from these other, you know, scientists, researchers, coaches, whoever. Um, I think it'd be really cool to apply it this way in our program. Do you want to do that? We can just, you know, we'll try it for a few weeks and see how we can adjust it. And mm. most people are like, awesome. You're learning more things. Like you're expanding your knowledge base. Like nobody's like, yeah, I didn't pay you to update your info. Like people like are excited that you're learning, but it can feel like an ego, like bruise to be like, damn, like I've been doing things the wrong way. Um, so I would just say that for, you know, for anybody new or experienced, um, it's okay to update that and just present it in um, a way that, you know, the client understands and can benefit them. Mm. And I would say a bonus one for the experienced people is something that Lauren and I both shared was we felt like the path, the only path for us based on the people who had gone before us, and we've spoken about this before, was to do a PhD and contribute more like detailed research. But it's something that we've both come to the realization that at this point in time, it's definitely not for us. So if you're feeling like that and you're like, I have to do it because you know, Dr. So-and-so has done this and that's the best way to make a name. It's like, it, it may not necessarily be the case for you. And that imposter syndrome that you might feel around that is completely normal. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, the, that desire is always there. Right. Um, mm. Especially if, I think if you are somebody who is academically minded, it's always like, did I do enough? You know, if I didn't, if I didn't get three PhDs, did I do enough? Right. And um, <laughs> shout out to Dr. Know, Joe. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. You're like, God, I feel like such a bum when I hang out with him, but, um, you know, you have to understand, okay, well, how, you know, is that going to improve my life, my business things for my clients? Um, or can I do other really great work in this other area without needing Mm. that? So yeah, don't just feel pressured to do something because other people, and there's so many people that I respect who have PhDs. And I thought like, man, like, would I, would I be a better coach or a better business person or better whatever, because of this. And ultimately only you can decide that. Yeah. And it might just be a timing thing. It's a no for now. Yeah. May not be no in the future, but it's like, that's okay. And that, 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 that pressure and that, I guess the acceptance that it's a no for now is a good thing that might help some people in the future as well. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll just thank you. And I hope you guys enjoyed this. (laughs) 